Welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast by the Army Management Staff College, where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army profession. In today's episode, we meet with Mr. Steve Bannock, Director of the Army Management Staff College, to talk about the importance of educating a hybrid Army. The U.S. Army is at war, and we've been at war for more than 18 years, and the nature of this war is different from other wars fought in the Army's history. And there's even a different war being fought right now as we speak. And this war is being fought in a virtual battle space and in places and ways that many Americans might not suspect. Today, the Army and our country are at a decision point where we must start looking seriously at the future of warfare. In today's episode of Leader Up, we have a special guest to talk about uh, this war, and more specifically, how Army Management Staff College can help educate the kind of hybrid Army needed for the future. So joining us today is Mr. Steve Bannock, who is the Director of Army Management Staff College. Mr. Bannock, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate the opportunity to come down and talk about this important subject. Thank you. We, we appreciate it also. I know our audience is anxious to hear from you. And I just want to start off with uh, this phrase that was in, in, in the lead up to this, hybrid army. Just te- tell us what a hybrid army is. Yeah, so a hybrid army is a force that can win wars in, in both virtual uh, battle space and in, uh, in physical battle space. And we start talking about the evolution of armies, uh, you know, throughout the 244-year history of our army. Uh, you know, we see that our armies uh, actually – uh, changed the composition of its force three times, and I'd say that we're at an inflection point where we've got to do it a fourth time as we've moved from the you know the citizen soldier army uh, that that fought on Concord in, in 1775 uh, to the conscript force that we had in 1973, and you know of course that's evolved into the all volunteer force. You know as we move forward, uh, you know I, I I would offer that uh, the the form function logic of the the current all-volunteer force has got to change, uh, I think, significantly to deal with uh, not only uh, the, the physical battle space maneuver threats that we, we, we face, and there are some adjustments that need to be made there, but more importantly, to deal with uh, the, the, the combined arms virtual battle space maneuver uh, challenges that we have today. And one, one important comment I want to make right up front is that my comments aren't binary in nature today. We need to win wars in physical battle space, and we need to win wars in virtual battle space. We need to address what Clausewitz talked about, the ideal war, which is the ability to destroy tank armies. But we also need to uh, address the real war, which is far more complex, uh, deals with all the political, economic, uh, you know, whole of nation uh, uh, type conundrums uh, that uh, the Army, uh, you know, has to operate in. And so let's talk about uh, about developing this hybrid army and how an entity like Army Management Staff College and the and the world of the Army civilians, what is needed to educate uh, that population in order to become the the hybrid army uh, of the future. Well, our our starting point is you know we go we go back to you know Cotter and you know and and, and Peter Singay's work. So you know I'll just use you know uh, you know a little bit of both. Of their you know theoretical constructs, you know we, we fundamentally got to have got to be able to lead uh, change effectively, and and maintain personal mastery for warfare in our time. Uh, 
My judgment is uh, we've lost personal mastery uh, for warfare. 18 years of attrition warfare is the evidence. You know, as an army, uh, we're seeing the ideal war. Uh, we're making the appropriate adjustments with the uh, cross-functional teams and, and the technological advances. Uh, but I would offer, I think, that uh, we're not seeing uh, and framing and naming the real war as it's opaque uh, to most of our uh, our practitioners. And 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 lastly, you know, as security professionals, we get paid to see the changing topography in the in the in the global uh, security milieu, and and we're not seeing the real war that's before us today. I want to read a quote to you by uh, Clausewitz, who is a popular military philosopher, and this quote was uh, attributed to him uh, around 200 years ago, and the quote is this: "The first, the supreme." The most far-reaching act of judgment that the statesman and commander have to make is to establish by that test the kind of war on which they are embarking. And again, that, that quote was made about 200 years ago. And so why is that important for members of the Army Civilian Corps or the Army uh, at large today in, in, uh, as we face the future? Right. So what he, what he's, what Clausewitz is telling us, uh, in, in layman's terms is we've got to understand the theory for the wars that we're in. Uh, kinetic f- physical war theory will not suffice for virtual, combined arms virtual battle space maneuver requirements. We, we need a, a different set of theory, which our adversaries quite honestly are using, and I'll, I'll speak to some of those uh, l- later on here in, in the podcast. Uh, but uh, you know, we're 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 rightly addressing the great power competition in physical battle space. Uh, but you know, the uh, you know, question is, you know, how is the army writ large addressing uh, great power competition in virtual battle space? When you look at uh, and kind of uh, deconstruct this, uh, there's a there's a 40 technology space for physical war and virtual war. And, you know, I'll take the physical piece first. We, we understand the, the, the form and structure of our, of our formation and of, of what our adversaries, you know, tank army formations are. We understand the, the structure. We, we understand those capabilities. We understand those capabilities are constantly evolving. We've got to keep pace with them. We understand the flow of forces and the time and timing, you know, the battlefield calculus. For how many munitions and the synchronization and the convergence that we see in the MDO concept for how it is, we can bring all the forces to bear under you know, some joint task force to destroy a tank army when we need to do that. So we, we understand the physical uh, battle space maneuver requirement. We're, what we don't understand uh, is the 40 technology space uh, requirements to conduct combined arms virtual battle space maneuver. And when I say that, it's the totality of, of, of technology. It's, it's, it's cyber social media, augmented intelligence and machine learning. It's autonomous systems. It's, it's, it's genetics. It's electronic warfare and signals intelligence and many, many other things that have to be synthesized, all right, into principles of virtual war, all right, and, and, and virtual war fighting functions. So we've got to do the full .mel PF assessment on what it takes to win in a war that requires combined arms virtual battle space maneuver, which is global, 24-7 virtual fires. The entire world is, is, is battle space, all right? And it's continuous. It's not episodic as, as physical warfare is. 
And you you talked about this this phrase, great power competition. And in the past 50, 100, 200 years, a, a great power was recognized as something either with uh, a lot of military power uh, or a lot of size, landmass, or some kind of status. And, some, and making something a great power today is different from that. So just what does that mean? What is being uh, a great power uh, in, in today's uh, environment mean? Well, uh, you know, I, I kind of think about it as, as I just kind of mentioned, you know, great power competition in physical battle space. Uh, we, again, I think we're, we're well on, on our way there. Uh, I think we have, we have a lot of personal mastery in that regard. Uh, but great power competition or, also exists in global virtual battle space. Global virtual terrain is the decisive terrain uh, that, uh, that sets the conditions for anything that we're going to ever do. Uh, in virtual battle space, and 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 what this what this really requires for uh, for all of us, uh, you know, relative to personal mastery, is adjusting our mental models. Uh, we've got we've got to embrace uh, different theory, uh, different mental models, uh, different learning modalities. How how do we structure team learning uh, across boundaries that uh, we would never think to to do before? And you know, i.e. the the you know the corporate world. Because when you start talking about great power competition in virtual battle space, we're not just talking about nation state actors. We're talking about, you know, uh, you know, companies. We're talking about empowered individuals, uh, who can reach out and impact, uh, you know, the global security environment at, at any point through a multitude of, uh, of different munitions. So, so the personal mastery, the mental model adjustments, you know, how we, how we structure, uh, team learning, thinking in systems, um, we're dealing with, you know, complex adaptive challenges that are, that are systems of systems we've got to understand to create a shared vision that, that, that creates the construct when we consider warfare, going back to Clausewitz, when we consider warfare, we're considering, uh, the, both the ideal war and the real war, uh, in virtual and physical battle space. And what, what you're kind of talking about is another phrase that I've heard you use, and that's MDO or multi-domain mm-hmm. operations. And so what, what is multi-domain operations and why is that important uh, in this discussion? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, it brings us to a, a couple of uh, overarching kind of uh, thoughts. Uh, first is, uh, you know, how, you know, and this is where the Army is right now because multi-domain operations is a set of concepts. It is not doctrine. Uh, so, but, but the thought behind it is, you know, how, how should the U.S. Army reimagine how it's learning about the changing form, function, and logic for warfare in our time? And I think that's a, a, a foundationally, you know, a major part of what MDO is trying to get at. All right. And, and, and then the second piece is how do we realize Army power? And going back to NDS 2018, you know, how do we expand the competitive space? That's part of it. You know, moving from just our Army, you know, to, to joint uh, in, in, in coalition warfare, which we've done forever and which we'll continue to do forever. But I would expand it even more broadly uh, that it's going to go beyond military boundaries, and we're going to we're going to have to have uh, corporate entities uh, helping us uh, think about uh, how it is we're seeing battle space. And again, the battle space is not just physical; it's virtual. Uh, every one of us is a combatant, uh, whether we believe it or not. Uh, you know, our homes, our offices, all points in between, our battle space, uh, and and we've got to recognize that. Uh, and uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, you know some of the, some of the theory behind that, but 
when you when you look at the you know the MDO concept, you know it, it it's joint joint force centric. Uh, you know you're, you're talking about a, a, a tax and you know and I mentioned some of this a second ago. Electronic warfare, you know, uh, you know, signals intelligence, cyber's a, a, a major component of this. So breakdown information operations, which I think needs to take a step forward out of out of the previous paradigm into a new paradigm, where you're talking about the synthesis of social media, uh, uh, you know, cyber, uh, augmented intelligence, machine learning, a- autonomous systems, thinking in, in in system theory, combining that with EW and, and, and SIGINT. Uh, more globally, and not, and not just in a, in a, in a joint task force uh, area, recognizing that there's strategic support areas that are global, and you know, and uh, strategic deep fire areas. So it's the totality of the of, of the planet, which is fundamentally, uh, you know, uh, you know, changes how we bound you know uh, operations. But most most of that is, as we think about it in a traditional con- context, we're thinking about some form of kinetic fires. You know the uh, A two, you know the anti access and anti denial conundrum that we have uh, just to get into the battle space is is really, you know, the focus you know uh, of uh, of a lot of what we're doing there in in the MBO framework. And there's some there's some uh, wrinkle of of deception involved in in this uh, type of warfare, but it goes uh, way beyond. Uh, simple military deception that most people would be familiar with from the past. So deception is a part of of this kind of warfare. Well, there's there's no doubt, and you know I, you know I've got a uh, a uh, you know a problem frame threat uh, you know IPB uh, you know a construct that uh, that I talk about you know and I, I I bound it you know in a threat horizon from about 1940 you know up to the present. So you know for all intent and purposes, 80 years. Uh, you know, it includes nation states like uh, Russia and China, but also other other non nation state actors that that play a role in in uh, you know how we assess and you, know, you know threats to our country. Uh, so when when you start when you start thinking about uh, you know the, you know this this notion of deception, I think I think we've got to totally reframe it uh, because when you start looking at the form function logic of warfare for our time. And you look at the enemy threat lines of effort, and this is how you know putting putting the threat hat on. This is how you know I, I would I would look at it. I would you know my first line of effort is control the perception of the truth. The first casualty of all wars is the truth. So our adversaries, you know, and, and again we kind of you know have a tendency to mirror image that you know other people think like we do when that's not the case. Our adversaries don't have the resources we have. They don't have seven hundred sixty billion dollars. That they can put into their national defense, so they, they take the indirect approach, you know the, you know the Sun Tzu Liddell Hart approach. But I, I would say it's more insidious. It's 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 much it's a much different approach. And, and uh, so I'll focus on uh, controlling the perception of the truth. Uh, the, the multitude of threats under understand how we learn. They understand our systems. They understand our decision cycles and how we communicate. All right. So that's the first line of effort. The goal is, is is to reinforce line of effort number two, which is this notion of social creation, where they become uh, technologically and societally entangled with us, okay? And that allows them to pursue, uh, you know, the relational dialectics theory. And I mentioned I'm going to start kind of pulling the thread on some of the different theory that we need to we need to focus on. I already mentioned, you know, uh, systems learning, decision making, and communication theory that we need to, uh, you know, probe deeper into. And we should teach at the Army Management Staff College and within PME. 
But the, the social creation line of Everett speaks to technological and societal entanglement and this notion of relational dialectics. And when I talk about relational dialectics, I'm talking about, you know, driving wedges uh, into different uh, pieces of our, our, our segments of our population. You know, examples, the rich and the poor, you know, gender, gender wedges, race, uh, you know, wedges, you know, wedges between our political, political party in, in religion. And there's a multitude of things. Uh, that that our, our threats are doing to us from a relational dialectic standpoint to create division, all right? And that leads into semiotic exploitation, which is the exp- exploitation of the signs and symbols in, in, in our culture. So you th- start thinking about some of the signs and symbols that are important to us, you know, the exploiting of the Constitution. It's no longer valid. You know, the, the Bible versus the Koran is, is another example. The Statue of Liberty versus the Confederate soldier statues. So all of this... You know, when you look at the, the technological societal entanglement, the relational dialectics, the driving of the wedges, exploiting our signs and symbols is meant to create a state of liminality within a culture. And the liminality is a state of disequilibrium. Nobody knows what's true anymore. And they, they, they lose their handrails. All right. And they do this through 4D technology space. There's this, uh, it, I would call it pure anarchy relative to the technology structure, which is constantly changing. The capabilities are constantly changing. The flow of technology is is totally unconstrained, and nobody has a sense of timing or timing. We only learn about the technology uh, in in many cases as it has emerged, you know, from, from this embryonic state that and, until it impacts us in some way, and then and then we grasp how to use it. So the fourth line of effort is the governance. Okay, so what you what you have and what has been established. And, and myself and, and uh, you know, uh, Colonel Dave Pendle, we wrote uh, a persistent surveillance paper back in 2004, all right, that captures a lot of these concepts. So the first concept that our threats uh, absolutely uh, uh, treat as a fact, not an assumption, is that they will have a population that has assured connectivity. That is, they can access their threat population. They can they they can have established persistent surveillance on a population through assured connectivity. Okay, so assured connectivity, persistent surveillance, it leads to uh, financial and economic exploitation, medical record exploitation. You see, you you've seen, you know personal identity identity exploitation. And we've seen this with the OPM hacks and the countless hacks of of various government uh, systems. Those three elements lead to social control of populations and eventually virtual colonization. And that's, and that's where we're going. And when I, you, you combine, uh, you know, the control of perception of the truth, social creation, uh, controlling 4D technology space and, and governance, that's what I'm talking about when I'm, you know, in terms of enemy lines of effort towards combined arms, virtual battle space maneuver, which is global. It's so much bigger than physical warfare. And when you talk about uh, assured connectivity, that 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 means that uh, an enemy who's trying to have some kind of an attack that they can they can uh, make the assumption that people that they're attacking have connectivity in some way. It's I've got my iPhone all on all the time. Uh, I go home and check my computer. I'm logging into my bank. I'm giving them. Uh, an, an end into my life or, or the things that are important to me. Is that, is that what assured? Yeah. So, so assured connectivity leads right to persistent surveillance, which leads to, you know, the, 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 the economic, uh, um, um, financial medical exploitation, 
which then leads to social control and then virtual colonization. Absolutely right. And and so you have four you have four threat lines of effort. There's a multitude of theory, and there's there's probably about sixteen or seventeen different uh, theoretical uh, concepts that we're not teaching anywhere in CES, the civilian uh, education system, or in the professional military education system. And so, what what will the response of Army Management Staff College be? What what is it now? What will it be? What should it be in the in the short term, long term future? To, to as we said in the beginning, to educate uh, uh, a hybrid army to, to deal with these threats that are coming. Right. So, so let's let's kind of deconstruct what we're doing right now and, and kind of look at look at the look at the army we have right now from a a CES and in, in, in a civilian education system and in a professional military education system. So the, the the foundation and there's a huge difference between training and education, but the foundation for our United States Army. Is, is training. We, we have a training, uh, ethos, training structure, and that's, and that's how we al- align ourselves. You know, when we, we and the, the training model is fundamentally, I'm going to dip into learning theory here, is fundamentally a, about single loop learning. We have a task, a condition, and a set of standards that have to be met. And again, this is not a binary discussion here. This is really important. We got to, we got to do it right. We've got to achieve efficiencies, all positives. Okay. We got to do this right. But the, the, but the challenge you have when you start talking about single loop learning, these task condition standards is focused on doing things right. It keeps you in the same paradigm despite what's going on outside in the much larger ecosystem that's going on in the world. So you can potentially become a single loop learning entity in a triple loop learning world, which could lead to 18 years of attrition warfare. Uh, you know, the, the next step on all this is in, in the way that we help ourselves is moving beyond a purely training paradigm into rigor in, in the educational, uh, realm where you start creating, uh, double loop learning potential, right? That is to say, we're, we, we're, we're really, uh, examining a multitude of theory where we, we can, we understand that we have to do the right things in the existing paradigm, all right, to be able to change direction in the existing paradigm. So when we talk about single loop learning and double loop learning, we're talking about operating in the same paradigm, doing things right and then doing the right things and then changing direction in the existing paradigm. The third and the most important element in, in this learning theory that I'm talking about is this notion of triple loop learning where we create new governing principles and produce a a different paradigm. And that's what we've got to do. That's part of the challenge for the Army Management Staff College is to develop the curriculum, to teach the right theory, to move us from the single and double loop learning paradigm that we find ourselves in today, which is primarily or- oriented on you know, how the Army runs and fighting you know, large-scale combat operations and physical battle space. Again, not binary. we got to do that. It's absolutely essential. But we're missing this other piece. We haven't created the new governing principles for how to uh, address the real war with these, you know, these triple loop learning uh, mechanisms that we need to uh, embrace. And to get to a, a triple loop learning, that that's going to go way beyond uh, just adding a couple of new lessons here and there. You're, you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, a comprehensive relook of. Uh, even the role of the Army civilian within the Army profession. 
Is that is that your is that your, your vision? Yeah, absolutely. And none of us knows what that's that's going to look like. We've got a we've got a number of uh, of, of documents that, that that tell us that we've got to be you know uh, MDO capable in twenty twenty eight, MDO ready in twenty thirty five, uh, and and uh, you know I already mentioned NDS twenty eighteen about expanding you know the, you know the competitive space. I'm talking about expanding the cognitive competitive space. All right, to do that, you've got you've got to have diversity in the instructors that you're using. All right, I'm, I'm talking about accessing, you know, the the civilian uh, work environment, uh, civilian talent pool. Uh, bring people in that understand the theory and can address the theoretical gaps that we have in in uh, the civilian education system and the professional military education system that our uniform service members use. Okay, well, Mr. Bannock, I want to ask you one more question and uh, just your opportunity to uh, address anything about this topic uh, that that I wasn't able to ask you. Is there anything that that we haven't talked about that you think is important for our audience to hear? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to talk about a, a you know a, a couple of things uh, that, that I think is you know r- really important. Uh, you know, when you you, you, talk, you mentioned uh, you know the Army Management Staff College and, and, and what's the educational vision? Well, the 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 first thing uh, you know, in addition to, to to what it is that we've already discussed, uh, the the first thing that we need to do is is t- to teach the right operating systems. And when I when I when I say that, uh, uh, you know, you know Sing Sing published a book in 2014 called Accelerate. Uh, that addressed operating system one, a process operating system, and operating system two, more of a systems-based systems. We did the same thing when I was the SAMS director from 2007 to 10. We talked about the integration of broad conceptual planning with detail planning. So detail planning being operating system one process and design methodology being the broad systems, you know, asynchronous uh, uh, body of methods, uh, but that in itself is insufficient. So operating system one process, operating system two, the broad methodological approach, the design approach has, has got to be, uh, joined with what, what I call, uh, you know, a big data operating system or, uh, what it, it's eventually going to be a quantum operating system. Uh, but it's going to include all the elements of, of, of cyber, social media, Autonomous uh, systems, big data, systems thinking, and, and, and you know genetics, and all the other. And again, it's the it's the full array of of the 4D technology space uh, that impacts virtual battle space. So, the educational vision has fundamentally got to change to create the hybrid army that we that we need, the army that can win in virtual and physical battle space. And it starts. The foundation is in these educational. Operating systems, not training, but educational operating system. Operating system three, big data. Operating system two, the design methodological approach, and operating system number one, the processes. And they're they're constantly reinforcing, and they and they never stop uh, in their uh, in their evolution. Uh, I, I would also just uh, you know would, would like to close with a couple uh, comments. You know what. What I think is uh, opaque to to many is the shift in pro- problem typology. All right, so we've moved, you know, in, in part from uh, this this uh, problem typology, this technical problem of destroying the tank army, to a complex adaptive uh, set of problems where you're dealing with with hybrid war that deals with you know uh, you know cyber social media, all the other things I mentioned, but nano uh, technologies eventually, you know, genetic engineering, asymmetric ethics. 
you know, when I say asymmetric ethics, I'm talking about what, what activity in virtual battle space eclipses your, your zones of acceptability and limits of tolerance where you have to take direct action in physical battle space. Uh, you know, we're dealing with, met, what, you know, global weapons of mass uh, uh, deception. We, we're seeing virtual uh, colonization and social control uh, everywhere. Uh, it's just placing a, a tremendous burden on, on the, uh, the industrial age systems that, that we've relied on so many times. And, and that's a function of, uh, you know, a, a collapse of many of the industrial age archetypes that we used. When, when you look back, <clears throat> you know, to the, to the, you know, the, the you know, the 19, end of the 1930s, 1940s, and you, and you looked at, uh, you know, walk it forward to, into the 50s, you know, uh, you know, the lifespan of a Fortune 500 company was, was 60 years. Uh, you know, and, and, and today, you know, it, you know, we're, we're, we're under 20 years and we got about 12%. You got about 60 of those companies that are still surviving and a couple of those are, you know, in precarious positions and may, and may in fact go away. You know, soldiers aren't the only combatants anywhere. You know, from 9-11 forward, most of the warfare in the world has been conducted by civilians, either by way of terrorism and terrorist organizations, uh, or in virtual battle space by civilians who are who are hacking and attacking other people uh, nonstop. And so we just don't have physical war anymore. You have you have uh, virtual war, virtual organizations, personal identities uh, constantly being attacked. With ISIS, you, you saw you know the rise of virtual uh, nation states. And all of this is bound by this eight, you know, this construct of eighteen years uh, of attrition warfare. So, uh, so you know, my my last uh, you know uh, you know parting comment here on you know hybrid warfare and, and and what our adversaries are doing to us. I mean, they they are very skilled at at uh, developing and 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 in uh, in introducing uh, you know hybrid warfare campaigns that. That keep the elites in, in a in a in a civilization in crisis, and you know the rich, the you know the, those that are in government, you know the you know billionaire class, and and, and others, they keep that that audience in crisis, uh, while the average human being goes into work avoidance, is not really sure who to trust, and what our adversaries are really really effective at doing is is controlling. Uh, you know the decisive virtual terrain. They're controlling our productive range of learning, and they're denying that. That's that's the key terrain. They're denying the productive range of learning for our society, and so all the societies you know around the world. It doesn't matter. I mean, everybody's got a role in this. Uh, and and uh, so I think uh, uh, you know that's that's what we see you know happening to us. We've got to we've got to develop uh, you know the 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 courseware. Uh, we're we're trying to do that with. Uh, an information age business transformation uh, continuing education senior leader course. We're trying to do that with a – that's a one-week course. We're trying to do it uh, with a two-week uh, information dominance uh, course here at the Army Management Staff College uh, that, you know, helps us generate, uh, as Nason Tlaib talked about, you know, how, how do we create in this multispectral environment, you know, anti-fragile capabilities? Uh, how do we address asymmetric ethics you know, autonomous leadership and autonomous decision making is 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 coming faster than we we can imagine. You know, concepts like synthetic soldier immunity, where our soldiers are are, are in a multispectral battle space. How do we give them, uh, you know, the the baseline innate immunity, uh, the adaptive 
immunity and the borrowed immunity, kind of like our biological systems have, all right, to protect them in this multispectral, uh, you know, uh, threat, uh, you know, uh, combat uh, situation we find ourselves in. So we educate for uncertainty, as uh, General Schumacher used to say, uh, to deal with complex adaptive problems. We tr- we train for certainty. Uh, and, 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 and both are absolutely required, and, uh, you know, we intend to do that uh, here at the Army Management Staff College. Well, Mr. Steve Bannock, I want to thank you for your time, uh, number one, for participating in our podcast, number two, for uh, the efforts that you've been uh, undertaking since you've been the director to, to kind of reset and refocus uh, not only our organization but the Army uh, Civilian Corps as a whole. And uh, what's that old saying? May you live in interesting times. And uh, based on this conversation, I believe we do. And uh, I'm looking forward to the future. And so thank you, Mr. Steve Bannock, for coming down here and, and giving us your time today. Thank you, Dave. It's, a, it's an honor to serve. If you have any questions about today's episode or this podcast, please check out the description for our email or for our website. Thanks for listening.